Hello and welcome to Mirror Talk Podcast. Your moment of greatness starts now. Today, I am delighted to speak with the author of The Perfect Investment as well as the managing director of two commercial real estate funds at Wellings Capital. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing great. Great to be here, Toby. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Mirror Talk. Um, can we get to know you and what you do? Yeah, so um, I originally got an engineering degree, which was my first mistake. And then I got uh, uh, an MBA, went to Ford Motor Company and had my own company for five years, sold it, and then drifted into a time when I really didn't know what I want to do. You know, I actually set up a, a nonprofit organization that reached out to international students studying in the United States. And uh, that was fun. But I was a 34-year-old, high, hard-charging uh, entrepreneur, and I didn't know, you know, I didn't, ha- I had a lot of free time, and that was really hard for me. So I started flipping houses. I started buying houses, fixing them up, selling them. And when we did that, my buddy and I, we started, we did dozens of those houses. Mm-hmm. And then I did some uh, construction of new houses and then sold, bought and sold waterfront lots at a resort. And I finally got into commercial real estate, into multifamily apartments, and then eventually got into self-storage and mobile home parks as well. So that's uh, what we do now. We have a fund at Wellings Capital that allows people to invest, and then we distribute that money over lots of different uh, investments, like a mutual fund for real estate. And apart from you know doing the, um, the real estate business, you also co-host a podcast called How to Lose Money. Yeah. So what was the inspiration behind this and why is it called How to Lose Money? Yeah, Toby. So for years, I would go to these conferences and I would run into people who were discouraged because they would look at all the speakers on stage and the speakers would say, here's my great accomplishments. And they were all true, I'm sure. But, you know, the people in the audience were not connecting. They were saying, well, I'll never have that good luck. And I'll never have those connections and I'll never have all the benefits they had. And I suspected that they had a lot of pain. Those speakers had pains and failures too. But when I actually got on those stages years later, I realized, hey, they had the same pain, the same failure, the same losses. You know, they have the same insecurities as everybody else. And they just don't tell that story. So I thought, wouldn't it be encouraging if everybody could hear that story? Wouldn't it be great if everybody could hear about the successful people's pain and failures and losses on the way? So we started the podcast four years ago called How to Lose Money. And we interview successful people about their pain and failure and insecurities and all the money they lost on the way to the top. It's been a lot of fun. We've interviewed 238 people. And uh, we've really enjoyed the process. So is there um, a new season coming very soon or is the podcast uh, over? Yeah, we actually ended the podcast. We figured we had thought of, we had heard every way to lose money in these Mm -hmm. four years and 200 plus guests. So we actually have wrapped that up. But all those 238 episodes are out there and somebody could spend days and days listening to all of them. And talking talking about losing money, um, you, you went from, you know, having 1.5 million US dollars in your bank account to 2.5 million US dollars in debt. And then you went back to being debt free within 13 months. 
How did you do that? That was a crazy story. So in uh, the fall of 1997, I sold my company to a publicly traded firm. I had over one and a half million dollars in the bank. And 10 years later to the same month, um, 10 years later in 2007, I had two and a half million dollars in debt. And the debt was against all this real estate. I didn't know the difference between investing and speculating. And I think that's the first important lesson I want to share today in this. If you think you're investing, you got to make sure you're not speculating. Now, investing is when your principal is generally safe and you've got a chance to make a return. Speculating is when your principal is not at all safe and you've got a chance to make a return. And I was a speculator. I thought I was an investor but I was taking all these significant risks. And if you keep playing double or nothing with all of your capital, you'll eventually land on nothing and then you'll have nothing left to double. And um, so that's what I was doing. And uh, I had all these uh, investments in real estate. Some were speculative, some weren't. And um, we didn't know we were going into the greatest financial crisis of all time. Uh, or excuse me, of our, of our lives, I shouldn't say of all time. And um, in, in 2007, in the fall, one morning on a Sunday morning, I was thinking about my situation, trying to figure out what to do, Toby. And I said, I thought, what would George Mueller do? Now, George Mueller was from the country you're in, in Germany. And he was uh, born in the early 1800s. And he was a hellion. He did a lot of bad stuff. And then God got a hold of him and he began to follow God and he actually went to England and um, he began an orphanage that eventually cared for 10,000 orphans. Usually one or 2,000 orphans at a time uh, stayed at his homes uh, that he set up. And he raised about three or $400 million in today's U.S. dollars, the equivalent he raised, you know, a quarter to half a billion dollars in today's dollars. And he did it all by prayer and faith. And he didn't ever ask anybody for a penny. Well, I thought to myself, what would George Mueller do? George was pretty radical. And George did a lot of crazy things that were different from everybody else. And I thought, well, George wouldn't be in debt. So I was already in trouble in that way. But I thought George would do something really radical I think he would give his way out of debt. I think he would begin giving the money he had away and trusting God to replace that money. And so George Mueller did that. And I thought, well, I mean, George Mueller did stuff like that all the time. So I thought that's what I'm going to do. And so I told my family, I called my four kids and my wife together. And I said, hey, we're going to start giving a set amount every week and we're going to give our way out of debt and we'll see, you know, either I might end up bankrupt or maybe we'll get out of debt. We'll see. Mm -hmm. And so we started that January 1st, 2008, four weeks later, I had a chance encounter with a guy at a restaurant and he gave me an idea. He planted a thought in my head that became a great idea that allowed me to eventually go subdivide some land that I could not divide and sell. And it was miraculous in a way because nobody had ever come up with an idea like that. And uh, anyway, uh, I had to work really, really hard. I had a lot of selling to do and a lot of land work and a lot of 
surveying and all kinds of hard work to do, but I eventually sold all those four, those five pieces of land and a lot of other stuff I had right in the middle of the great financial crisis. 13 months later, we were completely debt free. We even paid off our house. That's so great. So from this experience, what are they like, um, do you have like some tips on how to give effectively well? Because I know one can give in a, in a way that it's not going to bring back yield to you, right? And you can also give in a way that we actually, you know, be giving back to you. Yeah. So I was actually just giving and asking God if he would solve my problem because I knew my problem was way too big mm. for me. And what I didn't know, Toby, is I didn't know that... Um, we were getting ready to plunge down deeply into this hole called the great financial crisis. I thought eh, things weren't too good in real estate in 2007, but I thought that they would get better, but instead they got much worse. Mm -hmm. And um, it was very hard to do that, but I don't want to give. I, I don't want to give to charities or church or whatever. I don't want to give to those things expecting that I'll get something back. Mm -hmm. But it usually happens that way anyway. So you give without expecting something back. Yeah, wow. right. And still on the topic of giving, um, I read that your company, you know, fights against human trafficking and also helps to rescue its, victim, its victims. So um, how do you organize this and how do, does your company, you know, generate funding for this kind of very great um, contribution to the to humanity. Yeah, thank you for asking. So did you know that if you took the record profits, not the average, but the record profits of Apple, General, Motor, General Motors, Nike, and Starbucks, and added those together, the record profits, and you doubled that number, that's the approximate revenue being generated by human trafficking every year, Toby. It's a horrible thing. And even since we started this podcast in about 10 minutes, um, there have been probably 40 people kidnapped and sold into slavery in just 10 minutes. And so it's a very, very serious, it's a horrible thing. And we want to do everything in our power to stop this. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I want to believe that if I would have been around in England or America, 150 years ago, I would have been an abolitionist. I'd have been fighting against slavery. Well, this is slavery, yeah. and this is serious. And I'm just encouraging all the listeners and everybody else to take this seriously. Our goal is to raise awareness and to get information into people's hands and to hopefully give money to stop this great evil. I recommend people go to Exodus Cry, that's E-X-O-D-U-S-C-R-Y.com and learn more about how to fight human trafficking. So your company works with other organizations to, to fight against human trafficking? Yeah, we try to help them get the word out and we also give financially. Yes, oh, that's, that's good. And um, come to something much more um, personal or something much more um, to individuals. Um, why do you think it's very important for, for everyone to find his or her big why? Why do you think it's important for people to find their, their purpose, their why? Yeah, so I woke up on October 7th, mm. 1997, and I had a couple, you know, over $1.5 million in my bank account. Mm. But I didn't feel fulfilled. I didn't feel any better about myself. Uh, I was really glad that it happened. I was glad that we sold the company. 
but I didn't feel any better. And if I would have let myself, I could have gotten pretty depressed because I wouldn't have felt any more purpose because honestly, I would have said, well, I did everything I needed to do. Now what? And I think we were put on this earth to love people and to care for others. And it's really important to get that straight because if you make a million or a billion dollars and you don't have a clear purpose that is rooted in something else, not money, then we can find ourselves becoming very, very empty. If we make a lot of money, a lot of people become very sick and they get addicted to alcohol and drugs after they succeed because they're still not happy because they've got the wrong goal. And so I want to make sure my goal is always rooted in something bigger than myself, something that will last beyond my lifetime. You know, setting people free from human trafficking would be one example. And how did you find your, how did you find your goal? How did you find your why? Because earlier when you started talking, you said you studied, um, you got an engineering degree and that was your first mistake. How did you go from making that first mistake to coming to living in your own purpose or your goal? Yeah, thankfully in America, I had the freedom to try a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I went to get an MBA and that was good. Then I went to Ford Motor Company and that actually was good, but I didn't feel like it was the final thing for me. And then every time I tried to do something entrepreneurial, like to start my own business during college and things like that, I felt great joy. So I thought, yeah, that's probably what I should do. I should probably work on that, uh, something entrepreneurial. And uh, when I did, I experienced a lot more success and joy. I just felt like everything came together. Uh, there's a process you can go through. You can evaluate your strengths and your weaknesses, your education and your lack of education, your successes versus your failures, where your connections are, what makes you excited. You can ask yourself, what would you do if you had all the money you needed and you didn't need to make money? What would you do? And then what would you hate to do? And you ask yourself all those questions and you can go through that process and maybe, you know, hopefully come up with what you were supposed to do. A lot of people don't, this is kind of depressing for young guys like you, but uh, a lot of people don't really know what they want to do till they're 50. And um, that happened to me. I was about 51 when I realized what I was supposed to be doing. And even more specifically about 55, I narrowed that even further. And I'm only 57 now. Oh, so two years ago. <laughs> but um, okay, now if you found you found your goal, you found what you're supposed to do. How do you find the right energy, um, you know, to carry out um, what is required to you know achieve that goal? Well, one thing that's really good is if you can get something that they actually pay you to do something you love to do. Mm. So I love to write blog posts. I love to do podcasts like this, and if I can get paid <clears throat> to do that. That makes it even better. And so that is one thing that gives me the energy because I can get to, you know, like I, I've been asked a number of times, what is, your, you know, on a podcast, what's your hobby? Well, I really love spending time with my family and doing fun things with them, but I also really love what I do at work. And so that's one way to get energy. Uh, another thing is eating healthy and getting enough sleep. You know, I, I eat a plant-based diet for the most part. 
And uh, I've been getting a lot more energy with that than ever before. And I've also um, uh, been getting more sleep. I try to get seven or eight hours a night sleep rather than four or five. And both of those have really helped me a lot. That, those are great tips to um, put in mind, actually, <laughs> to get the right energy to chase uh, one stream. So I know with your ages of, um, with ages of experiences and everything that you've um, seen in life so far, I'm sure you have some secrets um, that the super rich used to attain and maintain wealth over generations. Can you share some of these secrets with me? Yeah. So um, I don't know how much of your audience is in the U.S., but the American, the U.S. tax code really rewards uh, a couple of different classes of people. One is oil and gas investors. If you invest in oil wells, you can get a lot of tax deductions. And another one is real estate. <clears throat> and a lot of the super wealthy really choose to speculate or invest in oil and gas. And most of them invest in commercial real estate. Commercial real estate provides four types of returns, profits. They First is cash flow. And that's the operating cash that's thrown off, that's you know generated by rents and revenue. The second is appreciation. That means the price of the asset is growing. The third is principal paydown. When using debt, a lot of times the you know the the principal paydown will be part of the profit eventually when the asset is sold. And the fourth is tax savings. The tax savings with commercial real estate are dramatic. And so it's really, really a great way to grow wealth. The tax savings include a 1031 exchange. Now a 1031 exchange is where you can actually uh, sell a property and effectively exchange it for another property through an intermediary. You, you, you sell it and you get another property and you don't have to pay the capital gains tax on the profit. And if you do that a number of times until you eventually die and leave your assets to your heirs, <clears throat> they never pay tax. They don't have to pay tax on the back profits. They don't have to pay tax on the current profits. I mean, at the time, you know, that the, they inherit the property and they can go on and keep that property and start generating wealth. They continue to generate wealth from that. And so it's pretty amazing opportunity and the super wealthy take advantage of that. And they may have millions or hundreds of millions of dollars in property that they're continually not paying taxes on. And there's other great tax benefits as well in the U.S. tax code. And that way, that money stays in the family and turns from generation to generation. Yes. On and on. Yeah, that's a good trick, actually. So can you tell me about your, your book? Uh, you have this wonderful book called uh, The Perfect Investment. What is the perfect investment? So when I um, was flipping, buying and selling houses, I wondered how to get into commercial real estate because I saw all these wealthy people were getting involved in commercial real estate and I didn't know how. Well, mm -hmm. when I discovered that apartments had all these benefits, the demographics, the future looks bright for apartments. You know, um, in Germany, now I don't have the exact number right now, but I believe more people rent than buy. Mm -hmm. And yes. the U.S. is becoming more and more like Europe. And so as more people continue to rent rather than own their homes, 
uh, the demand for apartments is going up. And there's a lot of reasons. Millennials, baby boomers are renting more. Gen Z people are renting. Immigrants to the United States are renting more than owning. And because of that, the um, demand for apartments is going up every year. And so we called multifamily real estate <clears throat> apartments the perfect investment. And so in the book, I explain why I think apartments, multifamily are the perfect investment. And I give all the statistics and the math and the financials and everything to show how it works and how people can invest in multifamily real estate. So if I could quickly throw one or um, two questions, I would love to ask, for example, um, so you are a man, a family man, you know, with a wife and four kids and you have your businesses running, you are an author. How do you, you know, combine all of this together? How do you run a successful marriage, a happy home, and a successful business? It's not easy. Mm -hmm. um, I really, really have to focus. I have to be very intentional. <clears throat> Since I work a lot from home, mm -hmm. um, it's very easy to be working all waking hours. I mean, it, it's easy to be working till midnight and then working at 7 a.m. and then working on Saturday. And so a book that's helped me is called The One Thing. The One Thing is a book by Gary Keller and Jay Papazon. And it teaches you that if you're an entrepreneur or if you want to be successful in life, you have to say no to 10,000 distractions to say yes to your one thing. And just realizing that an entrepreneur's work is never done and realizing that I just have to, you know, eventually stop working and have dinner with my family and watch a movie and all those things. I have to make difficult decisions to keep my phone or my computer turned off so I can enjoy my life and have a good balance. I think balance is not even the word I should use because like if I'm at work, I need to be 100% at work. If I'm on vacation, I need to be 100% on vacation. It's when we try to do both at the same time that we really get messed up. Mm. And I've made that mistake a lot more than not for years. I've spent more time, more years doing it wrong than right, but I'm learning. So what are like the top three distractions that you have to fight against or avoid in order to be effective in business or with, with your family, for example? So when I'm with my family, <clears throat> my top distraction is getting emails and texts and saying, oh, excuse me, I just have to answer this one thing. And sometimes that will take hours, you know, mm -hmm. and it will ruin the whole evening. So that's one thing. Second, I feel more fulfilled at work. Sometimes I feel like I'm more successful. I just had, uh, there was an argument in my family this morning among two family members. And I was on a podcast, I was only listening in, but I really wanted to hear it. I shut it off and I went and tried to mediate this argument between two family members and I was not successful. And I thought, you know, I would have been more successful. I didn't think this, but I think I felt in my heart. I would have been more successful on the podcast. At least I could have, you know, I, 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 I think I would have felt more successful is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And so I have to realize that I can't think that way. It's not okay to say, well, because it's harder and because relationships can get messy, 
I would just be better off to stay at work and close my office door, lock the door and let them argue out there. Well, that's not true because again, we were made for relationships. Yeah. We were made to love people first. Yeah. And so I need to go get involved. Yeah. Even when it's messy and even when it doesn't turn out as well as I thought, that's more important than me just working at that moment. Now, if I was the speaker on the podcast, like I am right now, that would be inappropriate for me to go talk to them because I need to keep my commitment to you and to your audience to do this, uh, you know, to do this call. Yeah. And so to do this podcast. And so it's really important to always know your priority wherever you are and give yourself wholeheartedly to that priority, whatever it is. And like I said, I've made more mistakes than not in this area. Emails are the worst distraction for me. They've been really hard for me for 20 years. So how can we stay connected with you? How can we, you know, you know, get across to you and maybe ask for you know, advice or get some counseling from you? Yeah, um, the way to do that would be to reach out to me at wellingscapital.com. That's mm. W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S-C-A-P-I-T-A-L, wellingscapital.com. Uh, we have some resources there. Uh, like we have an ebook on how to get involved in self-storage investing, uh, which is popular in the United States, how to get involved in mobile home park investing. And then we have a free five-day course on how to do commercial real estate investing. And that's also available on audio. All that's available at wellingscapital.com slash resources. Okay. So I'm going to place the, the link to all of this information down in the show notes of this episode, I would, have, I would advise all listeners to click on the link or copy the link and, you know, download the resources, listen to the audiobook, and also get involved with your business. For example, with this um, self-storage business and also with the real estate business and, you know, become better in life and, you know, yeah, learn from, from Paul. All right, Toby. Well, it's been a real honor to be here and I'm really glad to be on your show. And I really hope everybody... Um, can stay safe. The world is becoming a really weird place, at least in the United States. Mm -hmm. And I think if we make it our highest goal to love others, we can do that even if we have trouble in uh, our relationships or trouble in our business, whatever it is. I think if we love others, we can always learn to succeed at that. Yes, that's absolutely correct. Thank you so much for your time and everything I've, I was able to learn from you to, today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Paul. Wow, you made it to the very end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm grateful for your time, your love, and your contributions. Subscribe, like, review, and share this podcast. God bless you. Bye.